it's another exciting edition of Swing Thoughts. Swing Thoughts here on TSN 1150. It's great to be with you on a uh, summer's uh, weekend. I guess it's the Canada Day holiday weekend. I'm not sure if everybody went back to work Thursday and Friday. Maybe everyone just took a bunch of days to kind of reset as we celebrate the greatest country in the world. Uh, my name's Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show, golf spiritual leader, along with Coach Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca, and my uh, podcast, my podcast partner for uh, I guess four years now. Hey, good to see you. Good, good to, to see, see you. you. Happy Happy Canada Day, and can't, you're right, best country in the darn world. That's for yeah, it's not even close. Sure, it becomes more and more apparent all <laughs> every the time. day. I know they're just uh, you know I, I don't want to get into uh, U.S. Canada politics, but uh, uh, we're recording this show on Thursday. It'll run on Saturday. And yesterday in Canada, we had 67 new cases of the coronavirus. In uh, America, they had 51,000. Do they ever get tired of winning? I wonder. Uh, anyhow, it's a, it's a lopsided defeat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this program is brought to you by TaylorMade. Uh, let me get back to my TaylorMade golf notes. Here they are. Uh, the TaylorMade Performance Labs are in Woodbridge and Oakville under normal circumstances. Uh, I'm not 100% sure. I guess we should know, but uh, visit TaylorMadeFitting.ca to find out and book the ultimate fitting experience with TaylorMade Master Fitters. Make sure you get yourself into an all-new Sim or Sim Max driver. Uh, you know, I've been I've been talking about these, and uh, I was having this conversation. Someone said, "Is it really much better than the uh, the M series?" And I said, "You know what? You know, on your very very good shots, they're very similar. On your very marginal shots, the new sim drivers really do mitigate the dispersion." And not to get too technical, you mean uh, so the ball doesn't go way left or way right? Something like that. TaylorMadeGolf.ca <laughs> is where you get a hold of uh, of that. Um, we're kind of waiting for our guest. We won't mention who it is just in case he doesn't uh, somehow show up. But we are awaiting uh, a guest, and uh, we'll see at some point. We're all on Zoom calls and Skype and whatever the last few months. Although uh, I said that to somebody recently, I said when I when I hear someone say, "Oh yeah, we skyped," I feel like it's like, "Oh, did you churn your own butter too?" It just seems just seems exactly. sort of, seems old fashioned now. You're not skyping, are you? That's so 2019 technology. I typed a note on my uh, on my uh, IBM type electric typewriter. <laughs> That's right. You know, I was on a. Uh, I was on a comedy roundtable last night. A friend of mine from the States, really funny guy named Ian Bag, really funny Canadian. He does this thing called Around the Bag every evening, and he had a bunch of comics on. And, you know, I was the, obviously the oldest one on there. And at one point, I was talking about technology, and I said, you got to understand, at one point, uh, I went from a... Uh, manual typewriter to an electric typewriter, and I thought it was, you know, part of the space program. <laughs> you know, don't you remember that? Like, we used to have to hit the keys so hard. Good morning. Hey, there's Ian Leggett, my friends. How you doing? Good, man. We just uh, we just started the show. We're on TSN 1150, and I didn't want to mention that you were coming up just in case something went wrong, uh, but welcome to Swing Thoughts, my friend. Thanks for having me. 
Uh, well, you know, I was telling uh, Tim, I said, you and I saw each other at a golf tournament last uh, fall, some pro-am at a great course uh, called Cedar Bray in Toronto. That's and that was right. the first, first time I'd seen you in a long time. How you keeping there, pro? Yeah, not too bad. Unusual times, crazy times, good times. People have taken up the game like madness. It's like the, you know, like they've never played golf before, which is good. <laughs> Who knew we needed a pandemic to get people playing golf? Yeah, it's no kidding. It actually kind of, I kind of slapped myself on the forehead yesterday when it, I kind of realized that also all these people who, you know, were on the road or went, you know, commuting to an office or working from home, yeah, they work till eight till three. Hey, go play golf. I mean, there's, and, and uh, one company I've been talking to said that their golf memberships are going out of the roof, even though the season got late going. Same at Summit where you are? Yeah, exactly. I think I think what's happened here is, I mean, especially for families taking up the game, there's no summer camps, there's no, you know, soccer leagues, there's no, you know, and if you're even remotely a golfer, this is your opportunity. And I think we're going to capture a lot of people coming out of this. Now, not every single person that's taking up the game this summer is going to, you know, join a golf club or a membership, but at least they're taking up the game. And, you know, Tim, as you know, I mean, in our business, it's, you know, we're the, you know, the highest populated per capita golfing country in the world. And this is going to even create a bigger spike where just the average golfer, they say, you know, to be a golfer, it's uh, what seven and a half rounds you play per year. Uh, we're going to capture a lot of people that are going to spike that number out of the roof this year. But um, as well as I think for private clubs, I think people are taking up the game. The, you know, that guy or the wife or the couple or the family that had that summer vacation planned uh, that are not going to be spending that money in that area, whatever that number is, um, they're taking up the game. So they're, you know, maybe going golfing on the weekend at a, pri- a public facility or, they're venturing into finally, you know, taking that, uh, you know, big step of joining a private club. And it's all positive. The the only side, you know, downturn is it for us at Summit is just being able to uh, create that junior, uh, you know, platform that we have with camps and junior leagues and having 40 kids on the putting green working yeah. on their game that's uh, something that's probably not going to happen this year um ian uh, i understand that the the program you do on uh, sportsnet is radio vendetta is that what it is yeah so we do a, a segment right at the back end of the show for you know 30 40 minutes called rbc off the tee and it's a great show. It's, uh, you know, we, we've had some amazing guests that I've tapped into. We've had Dustin Johnson on. Last week we had Brooke Henderson, you know, and it was right before for the men starting up. And, you know, the ladies are starting up in a couple weeks. So having Brooke talking about, you know, what she's been doing, what to expect. The same with DJ when we had him on. Uh, this week we got Brandel Chambly coming on on Saturday. Nice. Oh, week we got John Foley. So the guest load is is pretty solid. Well, I want you to know, for us, getting Ian Leggett on the show is a solid get. So just know that. It's very exciting. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I want to take everyone back because a lot of people listen to our program. We talk a lot about the mental side of the game and how the professionals play a different game than the amateurs, not just physically, but strategically. Let's go back to... Uh, you won once on the PGA Tour and once, I believe, on the Buy.com, which is now the Corn Ferry. But you won in the era of Tiger Woods. And you were one of the best players. You, you, you played in a U.S. Open. You played in a PGA Championship. And you were a high, high-level uh, golfer. 
Just give us a couple, if you can, just a, a few questions here. Some perspective on when you look back at the golfer you used to be, and and can you give us some context of what it was like to be one of the best players uh, around in the era of Tiger Woods, who was even for you guys at a different level? I know that was a long question, but pick a pick yeah, any yeah. parts of it that you want to respond to. Well, I, I think everybody looks at it at that point in time. There was it was Tiger, then everyone else. Um, you know, so if you're world number two, if you know Tiger wasn't around. Um, you know, then you were probably the best player in the world. And I think when you look at other eras in the game of golf, um, you know, time, Tom Weisskopf, you think of Tom, you look at Tom Weisskopf's career, if Jack Nicholas wasn't around. Yeah. Or even if you look at Ernie Els's career, the amount of times he finished second to Tiger. Hey, well, look at Phil Mickelson. If Tiger Woods hadn't been born, all anyone would have been talking about is this guy, Phil Mickelson. Yeah, potentially. And I, I think the only thing missing in that era that we had in others, when we look at Hogan and we look at Nelson and we, you know, look at the, those, there was never a rivalry sort of, you know, developed. And we want rivalries in sports. We love them. That's, you know, that's part of the thing of supporting a team or an individual athlete. Um, so I, I think we're going to get it now, but that never, ever came to fruition with, you know, he wanted that Tiger Phil battle. It just never, ever happened. The only person that really stepped into the fold at any point in time was really VJ Singh, was mm-hmm. the one player who, you know, won, I think, nine times in 2003. So um, I think when you look at it, it just never, ever developed. But those are two different players. I think we've got players now that are like Tiger Woods. And I've always said in the game, the greatest athletes are the ones that hate to lose. Phil Mickelson doesn't have that in him. Tiger Woods had that in him. Phil Mickelson loves to win. And I think the player, the athlete that loves, that hates to lose, the byproduct of that is always winning. And Tiger Woods doesn't care who he's playing against. He hates to lose. And he probably does the same when he's playing horse in his driveway or when he's playing <laughs> Monopoly. It's still the same. And Gwen Gretzky's like that. If you watch The Last Dance with Michael Jordan, exactly like that. It was never about winning. It was just the hate of losing. And I think we've got guys now, you know, with Dustin Johnson, we've got, you know, Justin Thomas, Rory McIlroy, um, you know, we've got Brooks Kepka. These guys all hate to lose. They might look like their friends. And this is the problem with Ricky Fowler. Ricky Fowler, to me, is very much like Phil Mickelson. He's the nice guy who, you know, I'll pick off a few wins. He does not have it built into him, that, you know, hate to lose mentality. And that's the reason why we're not seeing him with the amount of victories or challenging in majors like those guys do. I'm going to use that as a jumping off point to go and explore what was Ian Leggett's mindset when he was on the PGA Tour. You won on the PGA Tour, man. You're like, that. that's the highest level of the game. So what were the types of mindsets? Because that's essentially what this show is about, as Howard was saying. And part of the thing that we explore is what's the thing that differentiates the way players at the highest level of the game, what differentiates their mental game from the average player? And, and what can we learn from players like you? Yeah, I, I think for me personally, I, you know, through reflection, I think more than anything, Tim, and a lot of conversations over the years with, you know, uh, especially guys like Richard Zokol, um, I think I had a little bit of a fear of success built in me with, a, you know, maybe a combination of fear of failure, too. I think the fear of failure is is spent on a little bit of that, you know, hate to lose mentality, which I have inside of me. 
but it's not a good combination when you also combine that with the success thing. And I think the guys that are great athletes and great players on the PJ Tour, they, 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 they revel in that moment of, you know, having that opportunity to, you know, close it out and prove to people. I'm not sure. I think my talent level was high enough to be, you know, in my mind, I think of, of playing with great players all the time and watching them play, you know, a top, you know, 20 or 30 or 40 player in the world. I think that my ability and talent level was at that. Unfortunately, as I finally won on the tour and got that confidence, injury set me back where I wasn't able to get over that threshold. You know, I came close to, I think I got to 99th in the world, and then all of a sudden the injuries started happening. So, um, but I think for me personally, it was just being able to execute consistently. Um, my putting was always one of those things that I, you know, Zoke and I always talked about. Um, this is a great story. I was practicing one day with Bruce Crampton, and we went out and played nine holes, and I'd hit the shot on this par five into the water, my second shot. And he says, I got a question for you. I said, what's that? He says, did you see the water beside the green or the green beside the water? <laughs> wow. And I that's said, great. I saw the water beside the green. He says, that's what you got to fix. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, a lot of times when, especially if I had an opportunity to win a golf tournament, um, you know, coming down the stretch, I think I was more worried about missing than making. Right. Um, and that's a mental perspective. And, you know, I, and that was another thing that someone said, you know, you, 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 you don't need the result to be confident. You should be confident to create the result. Well, let me just jump in and ask you this question. Looking back on your career, and you had a very nice career, but do, were you surprised at the time in 2002 when you won? Were you surprised you, this is going to sound crazy, were you surprised you won? And then looking back, are you surprised that you didn't win more? I think it was more that I didn't win more. I had lots of opportunities that, again, I think that, you know, sort of fear of closing it out and not making a mistake and missing and doing that. I can count probably three or four tournaments, you know, that I had opportunities to, and I look back on it, I should, I should have won that golf tournament. Uh, the week before the British, uh, the U.S. Open at Bethpage in 2003, um, I, I 100% should have won that golf tournament. If I would have putted any good on the weekend, I would have won that tournament by five. The U.S. Open at Olympia Fields, I think I should have won that tournament. I finished, I think, 20th that week. Yeah. I led the tour in driving, ball striking, greens and regulation, and ranked, I think, in the field 79th or 89th or something like this in putting that week. So even if I, I look back at the stats, because that was the one week I did, I wasn't much at looking at that as an individual. I looked at my personal stats overall and what I can improve on. But that week specifically, I went back and if I think I finished 42nd in the field in putting that week, I would have won the U.S. Open. Wow. So um, again, but that was more of going to the tee on Sunday and going, okay, let's not make a mistake today. Right rather than going out there and, and, you know, being in the moment and challenging and winning that golf tournament. So, Ian, what advice would you give to golfers who are aware that, you know, I, I guess, well, let me step back. Awareness is, to me, the first step. And so what you said, that you're, you were aware that you were more concerned about um, failing than than winning. So that, that awareness is the first one. But particularly on the course how do you turn that around what is the yeah, I, yeah, any advice to give for for golfers what would you advise them 
I think the average player, and you know, as we know, that average player is probably you know a 15 to 18 handicap. I use this line all the time, and it was one that I stole from Charlie Earp, an old pro at Royal Queensland in Australia. He says, "Play to your limitations, not your expectations." So, wow, um, I think that's a good one because I find that a lot of people go out there and. Um, you know, I had a conversation with a member yesterday. He said, I had my best round going until three holes to go yesterday. And I said, what happened? <laughs> he says, well, I got on 15 and I tried to hit a nine iron when I know it was an eight iron. Yeah. Like, okay, well, there's your start, right? So um, anyway, I, I think that you have to know what those are and how many people go out there and play. And one thing I always did in a pro-am, I used to start the round and I'd play two or three holes with amateurs. And I said, okay, I'm going to give everybody – a dollar for every ball that goes over a green today. And it's unbelievable how often an amateur player does not get the ball either to the green or to the flag. So I think that, again, you go out there and they go, okay, I hit a nine iron once in my life, 150 yards. So that means I hit it. (laughs) That's right. So, but I I think you have to challenge yourself. And again, the, the fear of failure is always built into, I believe, how you were brought up. And there's things that, you know, as Tim will probably reiterate too, is that there's ways to, to fix that, but you have to figure out what that is. What, what are those challenges that you've gone through either, you know, in your early childhood that have caused you to think like that? Because if you look at Michael Jordan's upbringing, you look at Tiger Woods's upbringing, you look at Ben Hogan's upbringing, you look at you know, great people in business and their upbringing. Um, You know, a great book to read um, is The Virgin Way. Um, It's a fantastic book by, um, sorry, as I was about to say that, I'm blanking on the owner of Virgin. That's okay. You're talking to two guys over 60. We 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 barely (laughs) remember how this podcast started. (laughs) (laughs) But he talks a lot about, you know, what he went through and how his dad says, you know, if this is what you want to do, I'm there to support you. It's not about, there's no way you're going to be able to do this. And unfortunately for me, there was a lot of those challenges in my life where I didn't have the belief of my parents that, you know, really challenged me to be, um, you know, better or whatever. I kind of did it on my own. And I think that that upbringing is something that you can look back on and how you fix that. Well, that's a deep, for sure. Recognizing that is uh, a curative in its own way, but I think a lot of golfers, I I want, if you take nothing away from this conversation from Mr. Leggett, but what you said about golfers playing to their limitations, not their expectations, you know, there we can all be, um, you know, uh, we can all be uh, look to want to be better. Uh, but but day to day, we have to kind of accept, well, this is what I do. And this is, you know, we have a friend of the show, a friend of mine, he's a sports psychologist, and he always says the same thing. Three shots on either side of your average score, you know, some that's just kind of the rub of the game, and sometimes you get a lucky bounce and you don't, but it's knowing what your average score is. You know, if you're a guy that shoots 85 and you got to, sh- you know, you're you're doing better than that, well, that's great, but that's kind of, you'll, you'll always find your you're sort of where you where you belong whereas sometimes in our brains we think we belong somewhere else for no reason (laughs) you know well i think people you know as players you look at that on the pga tour and you get guys are you know they have the capability of shooting 60 or 61 at any point in time but they still shoot 75 occasionally 
Yeah. Um, so that is an incredible wide range. And you take a 15 handicapper and he goes out and shoots 99 one day or 100. That's almost variably, you know, that same type of a range. And all of a sudden one day he goes out there and shoots 82 or 3. Um, so that's, you know, when you look at the spread of, you know, say 15 shots of a tour player and you look at probably when you – escalate that as far as a higher handicap that number of 15 is probably closer to 30 on both sides of the scale yeah exactly and how you accept that but i i don't think that people that play the game that love the game i'm talking about you know and i always use golfer iq and all golfer iq is a is a variable number of just you know how you understand the game and you can still be a 20 handicap and have an incredible golf iq yeah um and you have to be a tour player who's a knucklehead so um <laughs> You know, so I think that when you look at it, you I think using, you know, people like Tim using, a you know, a structured approach to coaching, if you are dedicated to the game, then it doesn't matter whether you you're a 15 who wants to be a 10, you're a 20 who wants to be a 10 or you're a five that wants to be a zero. You need to have someone give you a roadmap, both mentally and physically, how you're going to be able to execute that. People going down to the range and whacking, you know, 200 golf balls every day without a plan is just idiotic. And not understanding mentally what are the, you know, reasons why you can't execute a particular shot at times. I mean, it's amazing how many times I play with members and they go out there and they come up to the tee and they'll stand there. He goes, oh, my God, I hate this hole. Last time I played this hole, I made an eight. Right. I'm going, you've already conceded. Exactly. Now, that's in a way you have to be able to address that before you start your round. You're going to get to that hole and go, today is the day I am going to make a three on that hole. Mm-hmm. That eight or, is a race. Or today's the, today's the day I'm going to do something different on that yes. hole the, the crap I normally do. Tim O'Connor, what do you say or, to like it as we wrap up? Or the other up? approach yeah. is, oh, I'm I'm aware that I made an eight on this hole and I don't want to do that, but that's not really going to help me right now. What do I need to focus on? Right. What would be the shot I need to hit here? And how do I get fully present to hit that shot? But I think that what's really interesting for so many players is what you talked about. So looking at limitations is is – is it sort of sounds self-defeating but it's it's being a realist so many golfers as you suggested say a 10 wants to be a five a five wants to be a zero well you got to get your reps in at a certain level and be working like you say on a plan and be aware of what goes on in your swing your tendencies what are your tendencies as the way you think the way you manage yourself around the course exactly so um so how did you move yourself forward in terms of getting you know, to the level where you play, you could win on the PJ tour? It's funny. I, I had this thing and I don't even know. I, it's, I don't even know where it actually came from. Tim, to tell you the truth is anytime as I got to a certain level and really decided that I want to be better than everybody else. And Mo Norman told me one time I was, I used to play with Mo at Cambridge golf club. I worked there as a kid. So I used to play with Mo on Wednesday evenings. And he said to me one time, he, and I, and he asked me one day, he says, so um, how good do you want to be? And I said, I want to be really good. And he says, you want to be good. You need to be the best player at the club. And then once you're the best player at the club, you need to be the best player in the town. 
And then you should be the best player in the area. And then you're the best player in the province. You know, so I looked at that at that particular time of how I challenged myself to being the best player at the club. I grew up at Golf Country Club, had some really good junior players there. Dave Smallwood was a very good player who's the pro there now. Um, and, you know, so he went on a golf scholarship and I always challenged myself to be better than him. And ultimately that happened and then I became the best player in the area and then I, you know, you know, became the best mm -hmm. player in the province. So I continued to challenge myself, but anytime anything happened where I had lost a tournament, be a junior event or an amateur event, I said to my, I picked out a particular moment that was the tipping point for me. And I said, that will never, ever happen. So yeah. it might've been a bunker shot that I bladed over the green or I, didn't get out of the bunker or I, you know, drove it in the rough or hit it out of bounds on a hole or something that caused it. I would go and practice and over and over and over and over again. So that when I had that next opportunity in that moment, I knew it wouldn't happen again by exactly what you said, Tim, those reps. All right, Ian, we're going to have to uh, wrap it up. Um, thank you very much. We appreciate you being with us here on the radio. Check out Ian. Uh, follow him on Twitter. Once again, the name of the show you're doing is called? RBC Off the Tee. Appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Have a great summer. Uh, we'll come back. Coach Tim and uh, golf spiritual leader will break down a uh, a recent breakdown by one, uh, actually by both of us. <laughs> this is Swing Thoughts, and you're listening on TSN 1150. Sound of the river, you stop and you hold everything. A band is blowing Dixie, double ball time. Welcome back to uh, Swing Thoughts. Great to be with you on this weekend. TSN 1150 and, of course, the podcast now in its fourth uh, wonderful year. Along with Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca. I'm Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show, Golf Spiritual Leader. Uh, this program brought to you by TaylorMade Golf. The all-new Sim and Sim Max Fairways experience lower CG and higher launch. No, seriously, do it. Visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca to learn about the V-Steel Soul and Multi-Material Construction. Uh, check it out at TaylorMadeGolf.ca. It, uh, it was great having uh, Ian Leggett on our program uh, a minute ago. That was cool. A uh, guy that's won on the PGA Tour. And I, I was telling you before the show started, for a while I had the... Uh, same golf teacher as Ian. We've had uh, Mark. We've had Mark on the show, haven't we? Mark Eversham. Yep, we have. So for a while, I was uh, being taught by Mark around the same time as Ian. I remember I was telling you that Mark was relating the story of one day on the range with Ian. And in all the time Mark had taught golf and been around Mo and Ben Kern and Newtson and all these guys, he said there was one afternoon where Ian absolutely hit it better than he'd ever seen anyone hit a golf ball. And I was always thinking about this this mythical Ian Leggett range session. And what must that what must that be like? Oh uh, Yoda. <laughs> yeah. And Mark told the story and it was a misty morning and out of the mist walked That's right. Leggett. He was wearing plus fours and a plaid cap. <laughs> It was like golf in the kingdom from the man from Galt. Galt. It was Galt in the kingdom. Galt. Yeah, perfect. 
Uh, anyway, great hearing uh, his perspective. And I love what he said about know your, and this is where I'll begin, know your limitations, not your expectations. And the word I was searching for in that conversation was, it's one thing to be aspirational. We all aspire, you know. But uh, sometimes in golf, our egos take over to the point where that aspiring, and I, you used this word, I think, before we started, the word longing. You know, we long for better, in our, and we just want it, and we get mad if we can't have it. And so you were very uh, kind. You uh, put a uh, post on our uh, Facebook page, and you put a, a post just out in the world uh, congratulating me on winning the senior club championship for the second time in a couple three years i guess and uh you know winning's great and i'm i'm happy i don't want to feel like i don't want you to think i'm not but you know i I was in such a bad way the day before i won that it's comical really um and maybe you can relate that just how I'll, I'll tell you about the, the tournament in a second, but you can relate the call we had on the Saturday after I'd opened the tournament with a round that I didn't think was uh, commiserate with where I wanted it to be, and I completely lost my mind. That conversation was like one I've had with uh, a number of golfers in which our hopes and our aspirations just get so thoroughly dashed on like the rocks and bash 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 and just it's like what the heck is this game doing to me <laughs> and you're i you know what i said to santa i'll just say right now i thought you were like three breaths from starting to cry seriously your voice your voice had this this aching in it that i hadn't heard for a long time but i'm glad that we can talk like this and we have this show to because this is the game it's in these moments, those, as Ian said, there's different ways to refer to it. That tipping point, yeah. that state where you're kind of like, oh, my gosh, I am, you know, in the valley of death, as it were. <laughs> and that's where you were on Saturday afternoon. And to me, it's just a it's a great story of your own resilience. All you, you, in an ode to your character is that you were in such a state on Saturday Sunday, you came, come back, and I'll just, you want me just to tell the story real quick? Yeah, you can tell, and then I'll fill in some of the blanks. Yeah, so, yeah, you shoot 8-0 in the opening round, and you don't think you're there at all. And you just go out Saturday, shoot a 75. On Sunday. And, on Sunday, and the field kind of backed up a bit, and you found yourself in a playoff, and you end up winning. And it's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and Brad Chillette, one of our, our greatest fans, was just saying, what a game. I can't remember what he said. Exactly. Well, I'll read what Brad said. He said, uh, oh, golf, he said golf is absurd. Yeah. Uh, last week, Howard found putting Nirvana with the thumb and forefinger. This week, golf hell, seven putting the last two holes. A few days later, joins a 12-footer in a playoff to win a championship. And, and Brad... You know, couldn't have summed it up any better. And I and I think that, you know, a lot of golfers can relate. You know, there's a famous quote by Watson that I've never been able to get right. And maybe you, you've heard it too. But Watson said this, Tom Watson said years ago that, you know, something to the effect that golf is a game of patience, that you have to have the patience for it to come back to you. It'll always come back, but it's can you... Can you hang in long enough for that to happen? 
And I think, again, back to my ego and other people that play the game where, you know, we're, we're, we're making decisions and we're playing the game of ego association where when you can let that go and just, you know, play the game in front of you, ego aside, it's, it's easier on you. And it makes the game easier, and I'll explain what I mean in a second, but react to that idea of waiting for golf maybe to come back and, and not, you know, freaking the F out so much. Well, what I wanted to dive into there a bit, when you say ego, I think what you're talking about is that, that story that you have in your head. Oh, my gosh, I put in all this work. Yeah. You know, I'm this kind of a player, and this stuff is happening to me. Oh, why? Oh, why? And that's what I think that's what you mean by ego is, you know, oh, here's this shot. I should be able to hit this shot because I'm such and such a player and it didn't come off. And and suddenly we're kind of not in this realm of reality at all. Yeah, we're we're in this delusion, uh, fantasy, uh, maybe psychosis to some degree. Absolutely psychosis. You know, I I will let everyone know when I got finished, I didn't get mad in the golf course on uh, the first round. But I was seething. And, I, and I've been in and out of this for the last few weeks, and I, maybe a month or so. And I, and I was, you know, I, I don't know why. Maybe my energy is low. Maybe it's the uh, virus. I don't know. I don't really have a reason for my impatience around golf. But I can tell you on Saturday during that round, I got done, and I was so mad at myself and just so mad and sad. I, you know, I, I punched the inside of my the driver's side door several times on the way home and I yelled the F word at the top you know I said to you on the phone I said there I didn't just yell it at the top of my lungs I yelled it beyond to the point that it scared me and uh, and I thought you know I, I don't know if I want to do this I, I, if you want I can I'll read you a note I wrote to uh, my friend uh, Henrik who's like my closest golf you know friend and, and uh, ally and, you know, basically I said, I don't know how much longer I can do this. No, I get it. Totally get it. You know, I said, I I, I, re- I retired from golf once before, you know. And while you're looking for that, the thing that's interesting is that all all golfers who who aspire, who have been working on their games, who have a library of golf books, who have been taking lessons, who, who have are just this game has a grip on their soul, go through this. And it's the spiral vortex of death march. Yeah. Often we have it. Often we have it. Interestingly enough, by ourselves because we come off the golf course. We've been with other people. Maybe we have a beer or just <laughs> see people in the parking. Then we get in the car, and it's the first time we're alone with ourselves. Yeah. After this event has gone on, and then the ego starts its whinging and releasing. And expressing itself, and and we all do it. If you, if if golf has a hold on you, yeah. Here's here's the note I wrote. I hate to say it, but I'm really thinking this is unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. You know, it's almost embarrassing, but I don't care. I said I hate to. Say, I wrote this. A grown man. <laughs> I hate to say it, but I'm really thinking about retirement from this. When I think about how much time and effort I put in, it really doesn't make any sense that I'm still the same. Um, I appreciate your help, but I'm done. So dramatic. At least trying to improve. I have to find a way to enjoy this for what it is, a game that I play. I actually wrote that. 
because I'm a big baby. And uh, when I got home, my daughter, uh, one of my daughters who has been staying with me, just she's like, I've never seen you so sad. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like, We're it's not ridiculous. Doing. So... Yeah, that's where I was Saturday night. And my goal on Sunday, and the reason I was pissed off, by the way, isn't that I hit bad golf shots, because I didn't. I had three holes in particular. I had a triple bogey again in a tournament, and that is part of what threw me into a bit of a rage after. And I had two double bogeys, and I've done that before, and I played the rest of the round one over par. So I'm a good golfer who played some very good golf that day, but I was just so... You know, my whole, you know, my whole tournament self of, you know, I, just trying to not make big numbers because, and I, and I made them because of ego and I made them because of expectations. When Leggett said that, I was like, I'm going to tell the story of the triple bogey and it's exactly what he said. So that's why I got mad at myself. When I went there Sunday, I, th I thought, okay, you can't win. So let's just play a good, smart tournament round, which means to me... That when you're in trouble, suck it up, hit the shot that golf's asked you to hit, pitch it back out, you know, make a bogey. Because, you know, at my level, I can recover from bogeys. Bogeys don't hurt you. Doubles and triples do something to you. Even though I'm, I kept trying after the triple, it does something to your inner equilibrium. For the rest of the round, you're in a mode of like... Just kind of trying not to make any more mistakes. Now, to my credit, I didn't. You know, I, I was uh, I, I triple bogeyed and double bogeyed in the first four holes. I made a triple and a double. I also made a birdie, but that's beside the point. I didn't. You know, I didn't. You know, in my brain, I didn't count that. So that's why when the round was over, I was so disappointed in myself. Not because I hit a bad shot. It's because I was so. As I said to that note, by now you'd think I would. Well, you know, when am I going to get this? <laughs> you know, like, when is it going to release me? Yeah, and I relate because I'm st I still go through the same things in and out of this kind of like the vicissitudes, if you if you will, of just this clench of that comes over me and golfers. And when we kind of in this place, of when am I going to get this? When am I going to cross over the River Jordan or something? Yeah. Um, and but that's but it's in those moments again. So what I, I just want to kind of delve into here is for our golf for our golf listeners to relate to. What's the piece that they can take from your experience into theirs around recognizing that you're in this on Sunday? Oh my gosh, the gnashing of teeth, the bashing of car doors. Yeah, <laughs> and then being able to put together a really nice round instead of continuing to spiral southward. Yes, exactly. Well, here's the really big one. Uh, so the tournament starts on Saturday. Hit just a it's a short par four. So I hit a hybrid off the tee. I hit a wedge to about 15 feet, and I make the putt. And I'm one under. That's the birdie I made. I start the tournament with a birdie. Hmm. Now the next hole I play. And here's the, this is going to be the big takeaway, and, and I'm, I, I didn't learn this, I was taught it, so I'm going to pass it on. The next hole is a 565-yard 
par five into the wind. Not a big wind, but enough wind that it, it has to be howling downwind for me to have a chance to get near the front of that green. But it's not. It's going in the opposite direction. And um, I get up on the tee and I'm thinking, great, I birdied the first hole. Let's, you know, let's birdie the next hole. That's my ego talking. And so rather than just try and hit something in play, which is a different mindset than what I had, I try and hit, you know, a big draw and hit it hard and swing hard and I smother hook it and lose the ball. And no big deal. I re tee, get it in play, you know, hit it up by the green, hit it over the green, chip it to three feet and miss that putt for seven. It was a nice chip, actually. And I like a three and a half footer. I miss it for seven and now I've made eight. So I talked about it with Henrik, my, my guy, and he said, you know, the problem isn't that you, it's, it's what the decision you made is you don't need to hit a draw there, Howard. You only need to hit the ball 235 or 240 yards and get it in play. And uh, I've been working on this. We call it the, uh, you know, when we were younger, there was a thing. You guys, you young kids won't remember this, but Tim and I used to play with a set of clubs that included sometimes a two-wood. Remember That's there was right. a draw, one wood, a two-wood, a three-wood, a four-wood, a five-wood. And, and Henrik said to me, you know, we've been working on the shot where I choked down on my driver, because I've got really long arms. I choked down on the driver, and I just hit the two-wood, which is just kind of a hold-off, baby-cut that never goes left, and it doesn't go far. You know, I can hit it maybe 240. But he said, the problem isn't that you hit a bad shot. It's just you made the wrong decision. You don't need a birdie there. You just need a par. You just need to make a par or at worst a bogey because that doesn't hurt you. But so the next day, the difference was we start again on the same hole. And I start by, I start the second round by snap hooking my hybrid almost into the water. But I'm, 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 I may, I got lucky and it's in the side of the water by the grass. So I just pitch it out like the smart guy I am. Then I hit my next shot about 60 yards to about 15 feet. And guess what? I make that for par. Now when I'm on the second hole and I have a chance to sort of a do-over from golf, I just do what he, I, I do the smart thing. I dink a, t- a two-wood out there, 240. I hit a six-iron short of a bunker. I hit kind of a, a mediocre eight-iron onto the green. I have a 35-foot putt. I two-putt. I make par, and I move on to the next hole. And that's how I played the entire last round. Nothing spectacular. Made some birdies, made some bogeys, but was never in trouble. Or when I was in trouble... I just sort of went, okay, what's the pathway to a bogey here? You know, like even as something as simple as I had a difficult lie on the first day, on, a, on the fourth hole, I was trying to be too cute to try and get the, the I had a pitch shot that I, that I fluffed because I was trying to make it too cute to get it close to the hole. And he said, what are you doing? Get it on the green, 15 feet, two putt for bogey, move on. So the second day, I had the same shot. It was ironic. I was short of that green, and rather than try and get it close, I said, okay, just get it on. You know, again, at my level, I should be able to hit it close. Stupid. You ego. Ego. So I just chipped. I made sure I got it on the green, and wouldn't you know it, another 12-footer made the putt for par. Awesome stuff. And so I'll directly relate this to what Ian Leggett was talking about. Playing to your limitations as well but also playing playing 
and learning from what happened from the day before. Right. That's where that's what happens in golf and in life is that we need to go through this dark crap, go through the valley of death, if you will, and emerge and go, all right, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. So like Ian Leggett talked about, he bladed a ball out of a bunker, practice, practice, practice it. So you went through that, you know, you made a bad decision, a couple bad decisions on Saturday. You learn from that. And that's how you progress through this game. You know, I'd heard this phrase from my whole life, and a lot of golfers have heard it, especially on the show, that, you know, take what the course gives you. And that requires you to put aside, you know, I don't know how many times we have to have this conversation, to put aside mm-hmm. your ego for the moment and just take what it's given you. Even if you think, you know, there's a spectacular shot. You know, it's the old 80-20 rule. Like, I, I don't know how many times we've had this conversation. If you don't think, it, it, you know, if you're going for the green and you couldn't get there, I don't know, 18 times out of 20, then don't go for the green. Suck it up. Hit a couple of wedges. Make your, like my buddy Henrik has been trying to tell me that pars are okay. If I want to be a scratch golfer, I got to make a lot of pars and at worst bogeys because I'm going to make some birdies. But it was the, my it's my inability to just, Stop being a petulant baby and just I'm, just take what it gives you, whether it's a bad lie or it's the shot or, you know, like just because I think once in a while I could pull that shot off. I fluffed two chips on uh, Saturday trying to, to be too, you know, too good, whereas I could have just sucked it up. I didn't have a great lie. Pitch it onto the green, which I can do. If you make a bogey, great, because they, they don't hurt your momentum as much as triples and doubles do. Something that came to me while we were talking with Ian, and you came to it again, it, it reminded me again, and I, I hope I phrase it right. And he, he mentioned, say someone hit a 9-iron one time 150 yards. Yeah. And they're standing there 150 yards going, maybe today. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. This is the 9-iron. And this is, this is I think, where we... We're, we struggle with the game is like Mo Norman would say most people play in a, in a state of hope and fear. Yeah. And Mo nailed it so much. So, so true. When we're in this position of hope, you know, I hope I get it on the green. And, oh, and I, I don't want to hit it in the bunker. That's when, that's when golf has us. Yeah. We, and that's when we are in this state of tension, uh, the egos chirping away. And, it's when actually when we kind of let go of all that that the game surprises us. That's when occasionally, like, wow, I hit that nine hundred fifty yards. I didn't know that was going to happen. Or, gosh, I absolutely nailed that drive, and I wasn't really focused on anything. No mechanics, no hopes, nothing. And that's I think the best we can hope for is is then when we don't. When we don't get sucked into golf through our expectations, and yeah. it's more of this play of, of this allowing, that the game can surprise us. Um, the, one of the very first books I ever read, might, might be the very first book I ever read on the mental side, was Rotella's Golf is Not a Game of Perfect. And in that book, he says something to the effect of uh, aggressive swings to conservative targets. I didn't really understand that. I really right. didn't. I really didn't get that. Until very recently, you know, I was out, I've played, I've had a couple of nine hole sort of, I would say playing lessons, but just playing with Henrik recently that really have changed the way, you know, I've, I've tried and I, and that's why I was so pissed off at myself Saturday because I should know better than that by now. But, 
you know, even my approach to certain holes at my home club where I would just always get up and I'm always going to hit this certain type of shot because I'm pretty good and I should be able to hit it. But it doesn't matter. It's like it's the wrong shot to hit on that hole. The other thing he said is, you know, you need to kind of let the round, let golf come to you. And, and, you know, it's okay to make a few bogeys in the first few holes as the round develops. Whereas I was always like, you know, we got to get out there and, you know, birdie a bunch of holes. When really it's just easing yourself into the round and, and being conservative in your targeting, meaning pitching out or maybe not trying to hit driver on every hole and blah, blah, blah. What it does is it actually brings your tension level down. You know, yesterday on men's night, I had about 220 to a par five for my second shot. I hit a good drive, but it was a little bit into the wind, and there's a burn to the right and crap to the left. And I thought, you know, I could probably get to the front of this green. You know, I'm a, I have the skill, but I thought, you know what? I'll just make it easy on myself, and I hit like an eight iron, and then I hit a gap wedge that I almost sank, and it hit to four inches. Now, that that's a great ending to the story, but I was never in danger of making more than a par. Because I did, I did something where I put my ego aside. I can hit it 220. I can hit a cut 220. I'll hit eight iron, gap wedge, see what happens, and and walk off with a par. If I if I don't, you know, I made a beautiful third shot, but it doesn't matter. It was the fact that I had the right strategy and my tension level was down. Yeah, you know what strikes me is that we we go through this. Anyone who's been listening to this show for four years. Sees the peaks and valleys. I wish I'd been listening for four years. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, you've been in golf hell. I've been in golf hell. And we get out of it and we play in this place of, oh, I'm so much more enlightened than I used to be. <laughs> and I don't make those mistakes anymore. And then, lo and behold, they were back in the uh, valley of death. I, I know I'm working. Uh, no, I love that. Metaphor, and here's but... what we're, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have to wrap up on the radio. I know this half hour went by quick. We're going to go to our our podcast. We'll do a little podcast extra with just Tim and I, uh, and I will uh, tell the story of the playoff. We're also going to talk about Tim and his uh, his <laughs> devol- devolvement into golf hell. Uh, thanks to Ian Leggett. Uh, his show is called. Uh, did you remember the name of it? Because I don't. Teed up with RBC or something. All right, there you go. Uh, the important thing is to remember that TaylorMade Golf is our sponsor. Yes. And uh, we appreciate all the uh, fine folks. You know, it's funny because Dustin Johnson won last weekend, and he's a TaylorMade guy. And, and I was like, me too, Dusty. Exactly, DJ. Uh, O'ConnorGolf.ca and, of course, HumbleAndFredRadio.com. We'll see you all next week. Everything. A band is blowing Dixie. Double ball time. You feel alright when you hear the music ring. All right, as we do uh, every week, we have a little podcast extra now. We can swear. Um, <laughs> yeah, man, it's uh, now it's like we're on Netflix now. We went from <laughs> went from network TV and the and the, the censors to hey, we can say fuck. I, I uh, said fuck really loud inside my car six times in, in three sets of two. And uh, it was just, it was beyond anything I'd ever, uh, it was beyond it. I was so disturbed by it. I'm like, that's why I wrote the note saying, I don't know if I should do this anymore. It's just, you know, I was saying to my buddy, I said, I, I, I never had a day like this when I flew airplanes ever. You know, I get out of an airplane and I'd be like, that was great. <laughs> you know, I'm back. I'm part of you is like, I'm still alive, you know, 
I'd land a plane. I, I said this. I said there are no days over par when you're flying an airplane. There's only par. Some days you have better landings. You're under par. But you're, you get the thing on the ground in difficult conditions or not. It's par. There are no five handicap pilots um, or 15 handicap pilots. And I never, I always felt satisfied. Whereas golf for the last few weeks to a month has left me disappointed. And uh, I just don't want to feel like that anymore. I just, I, 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 you know, that's why I'm not, listen, I'm excited I won. And it's not as exciting as it was a couple of years ago where I hadn't won in a long time. And winning is not easy. And But we're all amateurs and we all suck. And, and you know, the fact that I came back and tied, the, the playoff is what I think, there's a great learning in that because it's along the lines of what we're talking about. You take what the golf course gives you, and you never know what can happen, right? I, I just want to make the point that as uh, someone who writes for part of his living, I think there's a great essay in that whole pilot and golf thing that if you if you feel you wanted to, uh, I would commit that. You, you've done it on the radio, but I'd, I'd make a great essay, which is more than just a mere article or blog. No, an, essay, an essay is it's elevated to a whole new level. But one of the things I wanted to... Oh, quickly, I'll tell you my joke about flying. I would say flying's easier than golf because if you make a mistake, you just die. Whereas if you make a mistake in golf, your friends never let you forget about it and you beat yourself up about it for the rest of your fucking life, you know? <laughs> but it's like, oh, he fucked up flying. He's dead now. Lucky him. He doesn't have to go through this hell anymore. That's right. He's released from this perpetual hell. Well, that's it. That's exactly my point that I was getting before we uh, ended the the TSN portion of the show, is that we go through this hell over and over and over again. And it's no one gets enlightened. No one sits under the Bodhi tree and the little nut falls, and suddenly we're better. We fall back all the time. And again, like Lego was talking about, so much of this stuff goes back to family of origin. Quite honestly, folks, trauma. Uh, just the stories we came up with as kids about where we are. And, and so we fall back in these behaviors. And it takes this dark stuff to kind of to bring us back and see, oh, yeah, I succumb to that old pattern of behavior again. And again, it's from our lack of awareness, oh, that I'm caught in my ego right now. I'm yeah. feeling sorry for myself again. I'm afraid again. And and it, it's so difficult. But that's why I do think – that's why I meditate. That's why I practice a, a, what I call a check-in with myself. It doesn't always work, but I ask myself, what am I paying attention to right now? What am I paying attention – what are my thoughts? Because so much of the time – we're just lost in that river of thoughts well, and let me, it's just roaring over us. Let me ask you this. So you were, you know, before the show started, you related to me that you weren't really happy with your round yesterday. And, you know, you had a higher number than you think you deserve. And you were caught in, you know, physically trying to work on your golf game while you were playing the game, which, as we know, you know, the can't, you know, build the boat, sail the boat. You know, we have all sorts of platitudes. So what was going on with you yesterday? And you're in the middle of this round and it's just you're just frustrated because you can't get the move, the magic move right. Um, let me back up a bit. So I got to the golf course and my intention was to really just feel these free swings. Like in, from the day before, I was just I went to the range for just 35 minutes. I just felt loose like I felt like just let my arms would just follow my body. That was it. That was it. 
get to the course and and we've been pushed ahead so i can't go to the range <laughs> and it just kind of threw me off for one thing and then as i was going on the round I went, okay don't be thinking that technical thing and then i hit a, a hit an off the world shot and i went okay you got to stay the pro, stay on the process of working this thing and and then it would come and then it would go and i'm trying and, and i'm just going okay let go of this swing to targets and it kind of went okay, and then boom, it would go away again. So I was like in and out. I was I, my ego was having this battle of do you stay on this thing that you're learning with your golf instructor, but you know having this battle. Oh, I'm just falling back into that technical stuff on the golf course. So it was kind of going in and out of of this trap if you will of trying to make technically perfect golf swings while being conscious of of playing you know a partner game and trying to make a score mm-hmm. and i just fell back into my old my my old way of being you know i know we've said this for other people but i i have a sense and i would love to do this with you some night when it's just you and i for nine holes in the evening you know like bagger vance uh, i i think i could caddy you um, to a really low score because I, I think what I've learned from Henrik over the last four years and it's just starting to make some sense to me is you know I don't think even at your you know advanced level I don't think that as a player sometimes all of us do this I, I just relayed a, an example of the difference between a triple and a par for me isn't that I made a bad swing is that I had a bad plan Right, right, and and I think sometimes with you and a lot of good players, because you're a very good golf swinger, I've seen it, but I don't know that your targets are conservative enough, and you'd be surprised by how conservative my targets are. Like you really would be. Like, like I hit a really good second shot on a long par four yesterday that ended up in a bunker pin high, but where it didn't end up was left of the green and dead. Mm-hmm. And, and and you know the old thing about keep the golf course in front of you. Well, that counts, and that's why I say some. I think it will be fun for us just to take what I've learned a little bit from Henrik and, and kind of download it to you, so that you could see that it's not like yeah, you can work on the Mart's move all you want, but when you've got that second hole at Blue Springs and the pins back left, and just because it's two hundred yards, but it plays one eighty downhill, where you're aiming to hit that ball and how far you want to hit it. I, I guarantee you are getting you in trouble a lot because, you know, most people, I don't want to get into it now, I'm just saying, like, there's a conservative way to play that, which is, you know, middle of the green, front of the green, short of the green, right of the green, because then four on that score, that hole isn't a bad score. Right. Well, I, I'm starting to get this, I do, but it's falling back, you know. It, so a perfect example was, uh, so two yesterday is, we're saying, uh Left is dead. So where I was going with that was, um, okay, I'm starting to get, through my work with Mike Martz, I'm starting to get about how to position one's, how to select the targets and and curving the ball a lot more. Because I used to... Try and hit everything to, straight. Fairly straight, you know. Anyways, yeah. so yesterday, so number left is dead on number two. Yep. So I, part, so I teed up on the extreme left side and... And hit a hit 
was a draw at the right side of that green, and it ended up just just short of it because uh, it kind of hung out a bit. But that was okay. So I pitched up, um, and, and I got a, a bogey, and that that had almost like a par in that hole. That's a yeah, difficult. It's, tough. it's a really hole. tough par three. Yeah, but where I got into trouble on um, on seven that left is well. Seven uh, right is the uh, what's one seven there? Um, it's a dog leg. It's a dog leg um, right. A bit of a dog. It just bends right and it's got OB on the right side. So I was going to hit a. Um, Wait a second. One so eight, eight's the tough par four, and seven's the right. one down the hill with the water left. A little bit left, yeah. Yeah. And, okay. And OB all the way on yeah, the yeah, right yeah. side. So I tried to hit a uh, my my idea was to hit a fade. So I'm hitting away from OB, but. I was so full of tension of trying to make this again. It creeped back into me. Uh, you know, make this nice rotational move with my torso. I've been working on with that. I, I, the only way I can surmise it is that I was so full of tension that I hit the ball dead left and never found it. Hmm. And it was like, oh, really? Again? Because it's the dead left shot that kills me. Yeah, so me too. Was, by the way. So it's like the irony. Well, I think for good players, that's it is the dead left shot that kills you. This is what Hogan dealt with. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I know it sounds weird to put ourselves. No, no, but it's true. It's Hogan. why it's why he ended up trying to learn to hit that butter cut, that fade. That's right. Yeah, because it took left away from him. But it was it was from the irony of it is is it was from the attempt to take the dead left shot out of my bag, if you will. That that's what I caused to happen at least three times during the round. To make, trying to make this move and hit it dead left, it's like I'm getting the exactly what I'm trying to avoid, yeah. and it's like oh my gosh! But it's through that that so I'm going like wow, dude, you just you know even you coach, <laughs> you know people come to me for this stuff, but I get sucked back in to my own behaviors because I'm only human. Well, I, I mean, I, I can't really explain this revelation that I've had, not about my golf swing, but about the, like, again, Henrik's been telling me this for four years. There's a primary target and a secondary target. Right. And if you if you miss your primary target, so you're trying to hit it left on seven there, and I know the hole now, it's got, uh, it's slightly dog legs right, but it basically has a, a hazard around the, the left side of the green, and it goes down to the green. The thing about that hole is... The way Henrik would explain it to me is, okay, go ahead and try and hit the cut, but if it doesn't cut, the straight shot won't get you in trouble. Right. So you might have been thinking, okay, I'm going to hit my cut, but really over the ball you're thinking rotate, Mike Martz, swing yeah. thoughts, blah, blah, blah. Whereas that, that primary line of flight, it took me a long time to understand that that's your – that's you've already built the fade in. You've sort of opened your shoulders or whatever it is you did – and and now you just have to swing down that line, whereas you might have been trying to, you thought you were setting up to cut it, but really you were setting up to make the Mike Martz swing, and you didn't do that right, and that's why you pull hooked it left, because really the mistake should have been over cutting it to the right side of the fairway. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Well, I, I love the way you put it, the primary and the secondary target, because if I hit the ball fairly straight, or a bit left, that secondary target was the 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 shit. 
And so that's stupid. Well, no, so, your primary target should have been down the left-hand side. Your secondary target is the middle of the fairway. But what you did is you right. hit it down the left-hand oh, side and pull-hooked it. Well, pulled it generally. Pulled but, it generally. Um, but, no, I, I yeah, I, I get it. So if I took a line that was more in, more in the fairway... Uh, for the for the primary target and the secondary target could be kind of the the right hand side of the fairway, then I would have been fine. Because if you'd pull hooked it, you'd have been okay. Because I would have been left. You would have been but left. alive. But but here's the other thing too. Like that's why I said I want to go play with you because hitting you don't like you're you're long enough. I don't know what tees you guys were playing, but like there's a perfect example of what Henrik was talking to me about the the second hole at at Glen Karen on Leithfield. It's five sixty five. You don't. What's most important on that hole isn't how far you hit that ball. It's not a very long par four. What's most important is that you're somewhere in play. So what's the shot that gets you in play? That's kind of the big takeaway for me. And, you know, I went around yesterday at men's night and, you know, it was fun being, you know, everyone congratulating me. But I was like, you know, I just want to enjoy my day. I was playing with some people I don't normally play with. And I and we talked all the way around. I had a really nice time. and And I just took the the idea that on every hole I was going to give myself a chance to be in play. Now, I didn't hit every fairway, but I was never uh, in trouble. And when I missed a green, I was like, okay, if I if this is too difficult to hit it too close, I'm just going to hit it to 10 feet or 15 feet and whatever. Um, and I think with you and a lot of people, it's like the chaos just takes over because you're now you're not playing golf anymore. You're playing the thing we hate the most, which is golf swing. Uh, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. So should I, let's wrap this up, but I will tell you the story of the uh, playoff and how I didn't hit, I didn't hit perfect shots and still won because I don't know if you know, Scotch block nine at Glencairn, there's a bunker 240 yards away and all you have to do off the tee is not hit it in that bunker. And uh, of course I'm tense. And again, I didn't make my. If I was gonna, I wanted to hit a draw because I was pumped up, and I thought, man, if I, I'm, I'm, I know I can fly that bunker, but I didn't aim far enough right that if I didn't hit the shot I wanted, I, I should have been aimed so far right, like cart path right, that if I pull hooked yeah. it, I'd be in the middle of the fairway. Got it. But I didn't. I took, you know, I aimed it to the right center of the fairway, came over it immediately because of tension. There were a lot of people watching, and I hit it in the bunker. That's the first shot of the playoff. I'm in this fucking bunker. What, you know, it's eight feet above me. But yeah. I, I, because I was in the mindset of, well, you know, uh, I'm going to take what the golf course gives me. I, I saw the shot, and I'm like, okay, the only thing you can't do is leave this in the bunker. Because if I had hit it thin or tried to splash it out and didn't get it out, well, now the playoff's over because now I'm hitting three out of this bunker. So I, I took my time, and I, I f- splashed it out as hard as I could, but, but making sure I got it over the, the lip of it. I hit it, I don't know, 30 yards. Now I got a three-wood. I'm 255 or 60 yards to the back left pin. I got no chance of getting this on the green. But I said to myself, okay, get it somewhere near the green, and that's good enough. wasn't trying to be heroic, and I hit a pretty decent shot, but tugged it slightly, and I'm in the front left bunker. 30 yards, 20 yards away from the hole. My, my buddy Tim hits a good drive, but he hits a funky second shot. Little tension, pulls it a bit, and he's, he's on a, 
a fairway bunker, but he's got to kind of he can't hit it out of it's it's not in the bunker. He's in the you know one of those shots where he's like yeah, oh yeah. he can't quite hit it out, so he conservatively hits it about sixty yards, and he's got about an eighty yard shot. He doesn't hit a very good fourth shot. Hits it to about twenty feet. He's the kind of guy like normally he hits that really close. He's amazing. He's an amazing uh, short game player. So I'm in the bunker in three. He's on the green in four. And I, uh, I I took out my 58, and it's a long bunker shot. And I was thinking, my first thought was, I should just splash it out to where Tim is, and then you know, hopefully we tie. And I go on, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to lose this now. But I'd been working on a shot with Henrik where I take my 54, long bunker shot, and I just, it's the same bounce as my 58. And I thought, you know, I'm just gonna, and I, but the, the the point is, I had the presence of mind to stop. I literally got out of the bunker. Changed clubs, went back in the bunker, and everyone watching later told me that they were surprised that I, I stopped myself, which was a great lesson for swing thoughters, you know, that I was going to hit a shot, thought better of it, got another club in front of all these people, you know, in front of all, I was just like, I'm not going to hit this shot until I'm ready or I have the shot that I want to hit. I got my 54, and I basically made the same swing I'd make with a 58, except it went 10 yards further. And I hit it, not at the flag, but right of the flag, a conservative target, but I made a really good swing. And the thing flew perfectly. It spun and went to about 12 feet. Ironically, in the exact same place I was in regulation. So Tim putts up, and as he's as he's going through his routine, everyone was over sort of back of the green, and I just turned away from them, and I closed my eyes. And I just took a bunch of deep breaths, and I just kept my eyes closed for about five seconds. No one could see me. But I said to myself, as I had my eyes closed, I said, just go through your routine and don't hit the putt until you're ready. And then I turned around, and I was fully expecting Tim to make his 20-footer so I wouldn't be surprised, you know. Mm -hmm. And he hit it to about two feet, taps it in for six. And I go through my whole routine in front of all these people, took my deep breath, and I was over the putt. And I wasn't thinking anything because I'd already said to myself, don't hit it until you're ready. And as Brad Chillette said, you know, last week I seven putted for the last two holes. And as soon as I hit this putt, I knew it was going in. It never left. I, I knew the putt because it wasn't. there was no break in it. But as soon as I hit it, I, I knew it was going to get to the hole. And it wasn't like, and I, I was like, oh, this is cool. And then I won and it was over. But I made, by, I was in two bunkers on that hole. Easily yeah. could have made seven or eight. Oh, yeah. You know, but it's the first decision to not try and be anything other than just get the ball back and play. That's what led me to win, because had I tried to do too much, I'd still be in that bunker. Hmm. Again, comes back to a lot of good learning. You're, you're drawing on a, and a greater awareness. And the thing that... Uh, I've been saying in my webinars recently is is the the reason people excel in one area more than some other people is not necessarily that that everyone else got short sheeted with talent or whatever, but that person who excels has greater awareness, got more reps in, been more through more learning. And my point is is that you've had a lot of amazing learning. So you now have higher awareness of 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 what you could, the bad habits you could fall into, other things, and you go like, no, that's not what's going to happen here. I have the awareness that this is what I need to do. 
boom, and you do it. And the right thing, that first shot out of that bunker. And then the decision about to go with, wait till you were ready. Again, you've talked about this a lot, and but it takes so long to learn them because, yeah. again, our ego sucks us back into these old ways. And, again, even going back to what Lego talked about, we take those those places where we, in essence, suffer, and we just do the work and we work through it. And eventually, if we stay with our own program, we'll get it. And that comes from having at one point having a lack of awareness and now we do have the awareness well you know something uh this was this was a long time ago in the swing thoughts world but you know the joe parent interview uh the guy that used to work with vj talking about hitting it anyway you know and right and it's very seductive and, and you know obviously i'm nervous there's a bunch of people watching and i'm in this bunker in three and I could have bladed it, I could have fatted it, I could have done a lot of things. But I, one of the things that he said is, you know, when you change clubs, because I had my 58 in my hand, and I was taking a couple practice swings, and of course now because of COVID, you're allowed to, uh, you know, move the ball out of a footprint or whatever in the bunker. You're allowed to touch your ball. And I had it, I had taken it out of the crap that it was in, and I put it on a nice lie, and I was taking some practice swings. And then when I said, you know what? You know, I'm not trying to be heroic here, but I don't think I, I don't know how hard I'd have to swing to even get the 58 to like where Tim's ball was, because I was really like I'll show it to you sometime. It was a long way away. It was a really interesting shot. But when I went out of the bunker, that was the thing that I realized now having played tournament golf. I allowed myself the time to go get the different club. And I, here's the thing, a detail left out. I, I changed the position of that ball as well. I said, now that I have a 54 in my hand, I don't need that lie where I put it. I wanted to put it on a lie where there'd be less sand. Wow, that's interesting. Because now I'm going to have to hit this. I'm going to make the same swing, and there's going to be more club on it, so I don't need to go through as much sand. But I had the presence of mind in front of all these people to make those mental adjustments. And like Joe said, when I changed clubs, I also took some practice swings with that club because my body was all in the practice swing of the 58. Now I'm making a different kind of swing. And the fact that it turned out is as a result of taking all that time. Now, it didn't take a lot of time. Like, obviously, this explanation is longer than it actually took. <laughs> but in in the moment, I just wasn't going to hit that shot until I was ready. Well, what I find really interesting here is that you not only had the presence of mind to, once you changed the clubs and you needed to change the feeling of the new club, but you also had the presence of mind to change the lie. Yeah. And... Did it occur to did did you go like oh wait a sec uh, is that you know how does that work with the rules of golf well this whole thing there is you know, it's kind of like the rules of golf kind of go out the window yeah. when you get to place the ball in in the bunker so that was that struck me as interesting too well yeah we've all been playing like that for since May fifteenth so I'm quite we're all used to it you know you you, you right. know it's accepted you can't take it and put you know put it in way away from where it was but in the area that it was. Um, you're just you can do anything you want with it. Yeah, there's even a local rule at a at a club link course you could take it out of the bunker. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was sort of surprised by that, but in COVID, we're making it up the best we can. 
just yeah. so that people can stay safe and you know enjoy the game and not take six hours and be stuck in footprints. So that was the the story of it, you know, the rage on Saturday and the sort of just average round on Sunday, and it wasn't even that, you know, like it was just kind of like I said, I played yesterday, shot the same score, you know, it could have been better, could have been worse. It was just just kind of like the the more uh, conservative I am in terms of where I try and hit shots the better the misses turn out to be. And it's like I brought up Lars Melander, one of the guys I admire in this game at the senior level, former you know pro. And Lars is just really good at keeping his ball in play. So is my friend Tim Southcott. You know, first hole yesterday, as a, as a whole, I've always tried to hit a draw on for some reason. And, and I got up yesterday and I just hit my little, you know, dinky two-wood. You know, down the left-hand side, it cut. I was in play. Now let's. Now the game started. You know, it's like, right. You know, I'm not like instantly in some kind of fucking swirling. Where is it? Why am I in the bunk? Why can't I find it? <laughs> you know. Oh yeah. Well, that's the fun part of doing this show is is that w- through our own experiences, our listeners can can go. Oh yeah. <laughs> I've done that. Oh, many times. Yeah. Many. Well, <laughs> we've maybe, all done it. Yeah, maybe through these guys I can learn not to do it or learn that there's a different way. And so I've learned a lot of good stuff today about that primary, secondary target thing. You know, I consider myself fairly fluent in golf, but that primary, secondary target thing, that's a that's a, a great piece. Well, I, I'd, really, I'd love to get out with you soon because I can – I will tell you, you know, you would not believe some of the – like when I think there's a chance that – that I could get in trouble. I am so conservative with where I'm aiming that if the worst came to worst, I'd be fine. You know, yeah, and and good players do that. Really good players. Do. I notice that a lot. I've played with very low handicappers at, at uh, Blue Springs, particularly good players who hit it a long way. They don't hit a lot of drivers. Yeah. Um, that's what I would say to most people listening. You know, like just because it's a par four and it's whatever number of yards. You know. Sometimes that's why I was saying in the show, like, you know, that, that player, that Leggett said, oh, I, oh, you know, last time I really made a high number on the hole. Well, then stop, then find a different way to play it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Henrik said to me after Saturday, I could have, I could have hit three five irons on that par five in the first day. And, you know, the worst I was going to make was six. Um, all right. As you, you can't hear this, you'll hear it later. Once again, I'm ending the show with Bill Evans. Peace, peace. Because peace be upon you, brother Tim. And Thank all you. of us that play this ridiculous bullshit game. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. You, you, you just succinctly said. Yeah. <laughs> all right, man. Thanks again. Yeah. Good and, talking uh, to you. All right, brothers and uh, sisters that love golf. We'll see you next week. All right.